welcome to No Page Unturned, the podcast where Christina, Steph, and myself, Josh, go in-depth discussing books, mainly focusing on those written by BIPOC and LGBTQ plus authors. You don't have to read along with us, but be warned, there will be spoilers ahead. So we're about halfway through the year, and we've come together to talk about our at least top three books we've read so far in 2023 that are already published. So when you're listening to this, you could go to your local bookstore, you could go to bookshop.com, you could go to other websites, I guess, to get books that you probably shouldn't. You could go to your local library. Or your local library. Get money for, yeah. And if you live in Canada, the authors get money when you take stuff out of the library, so. If you're listening to this, most likely you can sign up to your local library online and download Libby or ebook or any other, uh, I think it's eShelf is what it's called, and just download, you know, the books you want to borrow on your phone or e-reader, including some of these. I believe the Brooklyn Public Library allows anybody to sign up. Yeah, no, so if you're yeah. a teen, tween, or anybody who lives yeah. in a restricted area, exactly. Brooklyn Public Library's got your back. This has I'm been like a public a service three, announcement. I'm like a member of like three or four libraries in New York because they're free. Nice. To be fair, you also live in New York, so... Not doing that from Kansas. Not that there would be any judgment, but you're also, your taxes are contributing, so thank you for your service. <laughs> Yay, taxes. Yay. Yeah, yeah this, is a, this is one of the rare episodes where we're recording on August 6th, and I think it's going to come out August 22nd. So hello, listeners. You're actually getting us in semi-real time for once. Yes, tell us what you think, and we might know what you're talking about. <laughs> if we do drop any uh, references to current events, they're maybe still current. <laughs> yeah. For all we know, uh, a, for- a former president could have been indicted another time by the time it's this true, one comes out. It keeps out. happening. It's pretty great. His mugshot might be out by the time this comes up. Hopefully. Fingers Hopefully. crossed. Yeah, we can all dream. That'll be my phone background. <laughs> no, I don't want to look at his face. No, honestly, yeah, that's yeah. we've seen it enough. Yeah, maybe they'll indict his toupee separately. That'd be fun. Uh, that I thing is that. definitely guilty of crimes against humanity. Oh yeah, yeah, cruel and unusual punishment indeed, for the entire indeed. world. Mm-hmm. All right, who right. wants to go first? I'll go first. Okay, uh, cool. My third book, number three on my. List. Oh, we're doing this backward. Ooh, okay. Ooh, I'm doing it backwards. Anticipation. I'm going okay, to number okay. one. Uh, is The Archive Undying by Emma Miko Candon. Oh, dang. Nice. Imagine if big Gundams were also super intelligent AIs and people worshipped them as gods and connected to them, to their gods in communities throughout or like nations throughout the world and then suddenly all those big gundams became corrupted and everyone involved became corrupted with it to become feral ai creations and it involves a lot of body horror 
and transhumanism of, you know, like people are part human, part machine. The main character basically is the only character who hasn't like fully become like, I think become like super feral from this corruption, but, uh, he is in like an endless cycle of like every time he dies, he heals and has to relive. He, he's not aging. He's not getting older, but he's every time because the world has now like devolved because these AIs were basically keeping society together. Now society has fallen and Sunai, who's the protagonist, has been trying to survive without revealing that he is also corrupted and so there's like the great part about it is now that you know society has fallen what happens when society falls there becomes a new military com complex using these corrupted gundam ais to uh basically take over and in order to use those gundam ais they have to connect them to one of these um, now corrupted people, like human beings that it, it feels sort of like um, what's the movie where you have to be, where they had the two the giant robots fight the aliens from another oh, dimension. Yes, it's like yeah, Pacific yeah. Rim, but instead of two people having to be able to sync, it's a person synced with the Gundam AI and now this military complex that has taken over is finding these people that used to be connected to the AI and like basically reformatting these Gundam AIs to gain power. And Sunai is basically like not on the run, but sort of in hiding. And you sort of like go through, like reveal, like as slowly as the book goes on, what has happened to his homeland and why he was the one human being or maybe not one human being that survived this corruption and why he can't die and there's a lot of body horror of like because the the giant the giant ai robots it's not just like machines like some of them are like built out of like uh like whatever is like around them in the environment like if they're near like trees in a forest the giant ai's gundams are like sort of composed of tree and bark oh, that's and cool. um imagine like your corrupted god trying to constantly like re-merge with you but you, you as a human being, know that that God is not corrupted, and you know reconnecting to this AI will destroy you. But your your AI God wants to reconnect with you, Come and on. and you sort of like, you know, it's when like sometimes people that used to be religious long for that, you know community connection they used to have with their faith mm. but now imagine that faith is ai computer that is corrupted 
Like, it's literally reconnecting with your faith. <laughs> and uh, there's also Sunai, someone he meets, is a very uh, strong, like, gay couple in the book. And they're really cute. And Aww. the romance is actually really good. While all this other, like, AI stuff is happening in the background. And uh, the person he meets, without spoiling it, doesn't want Sunai to, like, reconnect with his AI god because he'll lose him. But there's, like, more going on with the military complex government that's sort of forming and, like, their the former home. And you learn things that happened in the past where all these AIs were corrupted. It's really... I'm not going to say it's fun, <laughs> but it is, like, very interesting and complex and sometimes with science fiction, I did get a little lost sometimes, sort of like when I read Harrow the Ninth. Mm, well, Oof. but that book is a lot. Yeah. Yeah, and at times this book is a lot too. Uh, but if you're more into science fiction, then like it, 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 it's funny. It's like, oh, if the the giant Gundams were dragons and the AI was magic spells, I'd be like, oh yeah, I get it. <laughs> but uh it's very good i i i really like it a lot it's interesting in a way it's like a thing that i've never really thought about with ai and it's it's a, a use of gundams that i've never really seen before where like yes yes there is a giant robot battle in this book it's 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 like in the climax of the book, but it's not the like main plot point of the book. We call it's that Chekhov's more like, <laughs> It's more like how does society go on after the the AI computers that were basically running the world shut down. And there's more books to come, I believe, in the series. I think it's a series. Nice. And I'm looking forward to the next one. It sounds a little like, and this is going to sound a little rude, and I mean it somewhat with love. It kind of sounds like a good version of Gear Breakers. <laughs> it sounds like yeah, a non-YA version. An adult, How about not that? YA version. Yeah. yeah. I did think like, of that when yeah. I read the book. Yeah, It's not that Gear Breakers was bad. It was yeah. just not for people in their 30s. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that sounds dope. Yeah, Josh, on your recommendation, because last time we talked about this, um, I already got it and I started it and it is dope. So everyone else should read it too. And like, I just want to throw in there that uh, the body horror in the book, uh, apparently while the writer was uh, developing this book, she was going through a lot of uh, her like her health was like failing her and had to go through many surgeries. So a lot of the uh, body horror is very like well done in a way like, Oh, you, you've related to this too much and it's both horrifying, but like really well written. Mm. That's the archive undying. Check it out. Who is the author again? Emma Miko Candon. C A N D O N. Steph, what's your number three? Uh, my number three 
I think it's kind of, che- I'm cheating a little bit because I haven't finished it yet. <laughs> but <laughs> okay. I really like it. Uh, it just came out uh, like six days ago, officially. So I have not finished it nor written my review for it. Whoops. Uh, <laughs> but it is Guardians of Dawn Zara. Uh, it was yeah. The, the, the pitch is uh, Sailor Moon meets Cinder. I don't know what Cinder is, but uh, I mean it's it's you Cinderella know. with AI basically. Okay, or okay. cyborgs, cyborgs. Yeah, yeah. okay. So I don't know. It's very it's very fantasy. So I don't know where where exactly that's. But anyways, it's like it's high fantasy Sailor Moon, but uh, it's pretty dope. Uh, yeah, it's set in this like Korea kind of like East Asian inspired setting. Um, there's actually a really sweet note at the beginning from the author about how, like, she is, uh, S.J. Jones is the author, and she was talking about how, like, she, uh, in her f- her first uh, series is set in, like, a kind of an Eastern Europe analog, and she got asked all the time, oh, why did you do that? Why didn't you, like, set it in, you know, Korea, like, place of, your, you know, where your own, your, your own culture is from? And she was like, I didn't really know how to translate a lot of things in a way that like a western audience would accept and that i could also do justice to um particularly a lot of things around like naming conventions and stuff so uh she's like it took it took me a while to be able to get here and uh she's like i'm gonna try to you know do the justice that i can but anyways it's great um yeah it's super fun it's very like cute and funny uh, there is a fantastic himbo character <laughs> and uh the and you know the the relationships in it are really great. So the uh, main character uh, Zara, she she's a magician. Magician is for magic is forbidden. Uh, anybody who is found to be a magician is burned alive uh, because magicians can turn into horrible abominations. Um, so she's like hiding her magic, and she has to like take care of her younger sister. She has an evil stepmother. I guess that's where the Cinderella thing comes in. Um, and then. You know, she has a sort of chance encounter at the market with a handsome man who's the uh, the himbo in question. And he is also trying to, like, take care of his younger sibling, who is a magician. Uh, and the, the relationships between the two main characters and their families and their siblings are done really, really well. Like, you just instantly, ha- like, feel this, like, need to protect the sibling. And it's very sweet and cute and well done. And, yeah, it's it's a it's a great book in terms of, like balancing action and funny and romance and uh yeah I'm, I'm super enjoying it i'm not finished yet um but i it's a cool world it's a cool the magic system is cool the lore is cool the characters are great and uh and i'm having a grand old time with it so far so yeah that just came out uh the beginning of august uh so yeah go go check it out um, it's super fun it's it's a lot it's not a short book but it's an easy read um, so it's like a great, it's a good summer read. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's fun. It's fun and nice, but like it got enough depth that, you know, it's not like a total beach read. Nice. I'm looking forward to it for like when I travel, like I've got it ready. Yeah. Yeah. It was my travel book mostly. Like I just like, I was in, when I was in Texas last week, I would just like get in the pool for like several hours and just read. Ooh. Yeah. I forgot about that book. I want to check it out. Dope. Yeah, I really I've been really enjoying it. I'm assuming it's like the beginning of a uh a series. Um so I'm yeah, I I I'm I'm assuming this based on like a the title and b just like the cadence of the book so far. Um so I'm yeah, so so everybody go read it so that she gets to write another one. Yeah. Um, 
there's also a really funny uh, so the author is really into BTS and <laughs> there's a like, <laughs> BTS reference in the book nice. uh, where like there's like references to this like troop of players and I think I forget what she calls them in the book but it's like very very similar to BTS it's like, it's, like BTS stands for like being 10 boys or band 10 boys or something like that mm-hmm. And, uh, there, yeah, there's, like, a group of players in the book that have, like, a very similar name. And I was like, oh, I see you. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, it's a good... I'm enjoying it. Are there magical transformations? Uh, not yet. I hope so. The The magic is, like, pretty cool. Um, there's some horrifying magic transformations when people turn into monsters. So that's I like not that, too. But, uh, it- but there is, like, you know... Uh, magic power used to heal people from the monsters they've been turned into. And, uh, yeah, I, I greatly enjoy, uh, the love interest because he just like, he just loved poetry and working out. And <laughs> and it's great. Are you a big enough BTS fan to know if they're more like, if, if he's like based on one of the characters or, People? Probably not. No. No. Yeah. Is there any references to anything being smooth like butter or <laughs> dynamite? Yeah. Yeah. If it was if it was something like that, I would probably catch it. Anything deeper, I don't think I would get it. Yeah, armies tell us that we've missed stuff. I have no doubt that you will. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You'll just have to read the book to find out. My my book number three is also Korean. Um it was translated. I, sorry, I thought you were going to say BTS related. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's my number one pick. It's uh, my fan fiction about me and BTS. <laughs> um, you guys are closer than you know. You're gonna laugh, but my number three is. Uh, it was translated on a like almost by accident. Somebody handed a grad student this book written in Korean, and the grad student <laughs> was like, "Hey, this is cool. This should be published." And yeah, just totally chance. It was not like the publisher sought out the rights. It was the translator asking the Korean publisher, which almost never happens as far as I know. Uh, Because translation is super expensive and complicated. Um, But yeah, it's really interesting. Um, It's about an alien who crash lands in Korea right outside what we presume is Seoul. Sorry? What's the name of the book? Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's called Walking Practice by Dolky Min. Or Min Dolky. But I think it's a pseudonym. So, um, And the alien comes to Earth, but his planet is... Or their planet. They don't really have a gender, and they're really confused by that. <laughs> their planet is, like, way less gravity. And so they have to build strength by walking. So it's called Walking Practice. But also, the only thing that they can eat is humans. Like, they tried real hard to eat anything else, and they didn't. (laughs) So they are... They're just, like, perpetually horny, but also perpetually hungry. It's it's slightly gross. It's slightly hilarious. And it's ultimately weirdly sweet, because all they really want is to connect with someone, because they're all alone on this planet. And everyone in modern soul is like, worried about money and appearances and climbing the ladder and not, you know, becoming poorer. Like it's, it's very much like hustle culture and this poor person, like poor entity is just like, what are you doing? You weirdos. So it's like 
strange and it's amazing that it got translated, frankly. And I'm like really happy because you never hear these types of things. Like it's not one of those highly literary things that got translated. It's like some guy or gal or not gendered person. And like, what is, so like, if you had to give the book a genre, what is it? That's a great Because it sounds kind of comedic. It's like, I don't know. It's like if Jordan Peele was still working with Keegan-Michael Key on horror movies, like it would be funnier than it, than like Get Out. Okay. Um, but it's like it's it's trying to comment on stuff, but it's also like it's horror sci-fi with a dose of like what now? Okay. Yeah. Cool. That sounds really yeah, interesting. Yeah, highly recommend. Josh, number two. My number two is The Combat Codes by Alexander Darwin. Hey, do you like violence? do you like people beating the shit out of each other this book is for you (laughs) basically um the world of the combat codes used to be ravaged by war with weapons of mass destruction until the warrior people known as the grievar in the book basically stepped up and applied what they had always used called the combat codes in order to basically war has been replaced by uh mma combat (laughs) so all right yeah that's fine so like you know there's still you know law and there's still diplomacy but instead of warring with each other they have teams of mixed martial artists uh fighting for you know land resources uh food um grievances and uh it seems like i don't i don't know what simile or metaphor the Grievar are supposed to be to whether they seem like an indigenous people metaphor because there's the Grievar who is the warrior people who do the fighting and then there's the daimyo who are described as like weaker but they were like the ones at war like destroying the world with weapons of mass destruction while the Grievar were literally living in islands, caves, underground, other places, solving their differences with, like, battle. They're very, like, fighting-focused to the point where... It's a, it's a, it's a definitely a grim book because I, it feels like the world has been ravaged by uh, the former wars that they used to have, and there's definitely, like, a divide between the daimyo and the grievar, even though they're like part of the same nation where it's like the grievar see the daimyo as weak and uh, like wasteful and just trying to 
hinder the Grievar, and like it's to the point where the combat has become not about the combat codes, which is like a very strict like code of conduct for these these battles that they do to to decide the grievances, and through the daimyo's influence, it has become all about just winning by any means necessary, including breeding Grivar, giving them, like, uh, they're called stims in the book, which, which could be, you know, a metaphor for steroids, drugs, enhancing, uh, like, enhancement uh, medicine. And it's definitely a, like, the daimyo are definitely, like, you know, it's not that they are bad, it's that their government is bad, and there's definitely a, you know, the main characters of the book are learning more about the daimyo rather than seeing them as weak. Like, it's basically two cultures learning about each other, while at the same time, um, there's definitely society is sort of, like, not breaking down, but it's definitely there's corruption going on. Like, the, there's two main characters, Murray, who is a retired uh, knight, which is, like, the main, the highest-ranked, like, fighters that usually fight in these wars, who is, like, he doesn't like the way things have changed, how the daimyo are now using machinery and stimulants to change the Grivar and forgetting about the combat codes, but also... He's too um, sort of too latched on to tradition that it's the, you know, people that are too attached to tradition in both the good and the bad way where any change is seen as bad, where he can't, he can't, like, he'll mention things about the daimyo that are like, you know, paint them in a broad picture. It's a little racist. But at the same time, the daimyo see the Grivar as just like, oh, you're just dumb fighters. And he's the older, gruff protagonist. And the the younger protagonist, Sego. Sego is a like he's I think he's like twelve or thirteen years old. You we all we know about him when we meet him is that he was formerly being taught martial arts on a mysterious island. And he sort of like throughout the book goes from fighting in the underground to tr meeting Murray and training with him and then joining a uh, school. Hey, do you like magical schools? What if magical schools were about <laughs> mixed martial arts instead? <laughs> and there's definitely like, it, there's not that there's no magic in the book. The cool, th the cool thing about the fights is that they are fought in a ring that is made out of a particular metal that's being dug up, like all around the world. And each, depending on where the metal is uh, dug up, it has like sort of like an elemental uh, element to it. Like there's a red metal that they make the rings out of. And each metal, when they dig it up, um, they call them spectrals. They look like 
Like imagine little navi imagine little navvies flying around but without the wings. <laughs> okay. No. And there's, and there's all different colors. Like uh the red one when they fight in the red ring and there's like the spectrals above. Um the more the crowd cheers for you, the more um like enthusiastic you become in the fight. And then there's oh, that's cool. And so there's like an under while Seago is learning to become a knight and Murray is trying to find out what Seago's past is on this island. There's this like underlying mystery of what these spectrals are and where they came from. Cause like there's ones that are like, they make you colder when you fight in it. There's ones, there's black ones that basically affect like the passage of time. So when you're in the black ring, time passes for you faster than the people watching the ring. And the fights That's are really awesome. Like, like the author clearly is trained in MMA because like the moves are so the the fight scenes are so well written. But like there's this definitely Seago, unlike Murray, seems to like be more open minded and he's trying to connect to people of other cultures in the book where other people like there's definitely like a class structure going on that is underlying the book where these upper there's the daimyo look down on the the grivar there's noble grivar that look down on any other culture but their own and seago seems to want to connect with everyone but then there's also the mystery of where did Seago come from? Why is he... Because from the beginning that you meet Seago, his martial arts is better than most people's, like, unnaturally. Uh, like, not that he's, you know, the best. It, he doesn't suffer from, you know, those kind of protagonists that are good at everything. Quoth. Marty Sue. Yeah. Uh, but Seago seems to be well-trained... And he appeared out of nowhere in the underground, which, like, is literally underground. It's where, like, the more seedy fights happened. Finally, truth and, in advertising. <laughs> yeah, and it's not... It's definitely, like, the underbelly, and it's not... Trigger warning, there is, like, slavery happening in the underground that is not... Well, it's not good, but Seago kind of, like, gets... It. Like, not good in that, oh, the author shouldn't have written it, but right. if you're not good, it's, like, very grim. And it even has, like... It has, like, you know, the older Grivar knights that are retired, sort of, like, doing anything to get back into the ring. And it's definitely... It, the author is definitely saying something about how people use enhancement drugs for in sports. And it's very interesting. And I really love Seago as a main character. Like he meets a daimyo cleric, which is like their medical doctors. And Seago clearly is like trying to connect with her. Like it doesn't seem like a romance, but more like, Oh, we're from two different cultures. Like she has this uh uh like opinion of Grivar that they're not very intelligent and so she's constantly like she'll explain things really scientifically and then 
Sigo will be like, oh, I don't get it, what you're saying. And then she'll break it down for him in a more dumbed-down way, and then he'll connect that to fighting. And then she'll be like, and it's sort of like a breaking of the barriers between their two cultures. And uh, meanwhile, Murray is like having to let go of his uh, prejudice and also his like initial initial like uh, conceptions of politicking. He's very like you know set in his ways, very blunt. Has to do things a certain way, but now he has the mystery of where did Sego come from? What is our government doing behind the scenes in order to win these fights, which have replaced wars? And uh, there's a lot of I love a book that ha- uh, any in any like science fiction or fantasy that has secrets, and there's a lot of secrets <laughs> that get revealed, and. The great thing about Combat Codes, you pick it up now and read it. The second book comes out this December, so you don't have to wait that long before you read the next one. This is another Jen Lyons situation, or did this come out, like, January? I believe the author originally published this independently in 2015, and then it was picked up by... Oh, nice. Okay. Got it. Nice. No, I'm sorry. This is an Orbit book. It was picked up by Orbit, and I guess the author already had the second book already prepared and probably went through the editing process with Orbit. So now, two books, same year. Always good. Very nice. Uh, Okay, my number two. Uh, My number two is... uh, Raw Dog by Jamie Loftus, <laughs> <laughs> which is not sci-fi or fantasy, although there is one particular fantasy in the book, uh, which gets brought up a lot. Uh, so, okay, to explain, uh, so Jamie Loftus is a comedian that I really like, and she has some great podcasts. Um, if you like uh, deep dive podcasts at all, uh, especially around books, uh, I highly, highly recommend a uh, Lolita podcast that she did. Uh, it's really great. Like I never read, I have not and will not read Lolita, but she breaks down like it in this very uh, interesting way, and also like does a great job of like linking where it kind of went in culture and how it is uh, not exactly a misunderstood book, but it's like had basically the opposite effect on culture that the uh, author kind of intended. Anyways, um, that's great. She's got a good one about Kathy Comics as well. And, uh, yeah, just lots of interesting, funny podcasts. And I I enjoy her humor and all that. So she loves hot dogs. And she basically got an advance to travel across America and try hot dogs. And, you know, so it's this sort of, like, travelogue slash cook, like, food book slash weird memoir, like, slice of life of just how fucking weird the world and particularly America was in the summer of 2021 where it was like the second summer of COVID and you know like vaccines were kind of out but like there was all this other crazy shit going on and just like um it is it is a cultural soup which in reading the book I was like really like she does a great job of kind of 
evoking those the weirdness and, and feelings of those times that I think, like, a lot of us have, like, really tried to put behind us. And which is not to say that, like, the book was triggering by any means, but, like, just the things that we forgot that were weird. Wait a minute. Is this about hot dogs or soup? Get your story straight. <laughs> <laughs> Are there um, hot dogs the- in soup? If so, <laughs> yeah. oh, no, no, thank you. <laughs> so, like, the other wild thing about this book is that she did this whole, like, America hot dog tour with her boyfriend at the time. And uh, I think they're, like, dog and cat or maybe, anyways, at least one pet. Um, and she broke up with the boyfriend, like, a month after they finished doing this. So it's, like, also about the deterioration of their relationship and, like, traveling across America, eating four to five hot dogs a day with somebody for whom, like, you feel your relationship crumbling. Oh, God. I can't imagine that the sulfates are helping. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, another part of it is, like, so they're also, like, going... So, like, her dad has to have lung surgery... Um, because he was, like, a lifelong smoker, so they're, like, also, like, going to Boston to, like, care for her dad for a couple whiles, and, like, she talks about how they have to, like, like, clean out his house and, like, scrub nicotine off the walls, and, like, all, and so it's, like, there's a lot going on in this book, and it's really well balanced in that, like, as soon as, like, something starts to get a little too real, or, like, you get a little too bored with just, like, descriptions of hot dogs, she mixes (laughs) it up, and so it's, it, it's a nice like balance of where like you don't never get too bored with one subject before she mixes it up. Lots of interesting history about hot dogs and food and, you know, hot dogs were born out of uh, a food crisis, not unlike one that we're in now in like the twenties and thirties where people couldn't afford much food and you had to eat like a filling thing, a filling cheap thing because it might be the only meal you get that day. Like it very much left me wondering like, Oh cool. Wonder what the hot dog of the 2020s is going to be because like so many of the things that, that she talks about in this book, I was like, Oh damn, that is happening again. Like right now. It's the hot dog. Honestly, it probably is just the hot dog. Yeah. (laughs) That and flaming hot Cheetos. Yeah. (laughs) Uh. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, a weird book. It's definitely not for everybody, um, but I, I still really enjoyed it, and I recommend it to everyone, because it is it's very different. It is unlike any other book that I have ever read. I haven't read it yet, but I did read your review of it, mm. and I thought that was great, so it made yeah. me really yeah. want to pick it up, but I, yeah. I have since forgotten about it until I mean, you mentioned it just now. It's fine. I There's definitely a lot of books. Check it out. Yeah. yeah, it's a good time. And it's like, it's like an easy read to pick up and put down because you don't have to really remember what's been happening. So like, it's, yeah, it's a good like vacation read or like a bath read or a toilet read or like just, you know, you don't, yeah, it's not like, like a lot of the other books that we cover on here or like, you really need to be like paying attention a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you yeah. could read it, for example, at Costco when you go to get your giant. Absolutely, hot dog. yes, okay. yes. She actually debunks the the uh, well, the very uh, beloved myth of the Costco dollar fifty hot dog. Oh, in a good way or a bad way? Uh, I mean, it, so basically, she talks about like you know, there's like this very apocryphal story, right, about how like the Costco CEO is like, if you change the price of the hot dog, I'll fucking kill you. Oh, okay. <laughs> and it's not because like Costco is a bastion of you know um, 
of respect for the poor people and like no how we can't do this because like this is important and blah, blah, blah. He, no, he like, just doesn't want to pay more than a dollar fifty for <laughs> well it, no it's that like that cock dog gets people in the door right. yeah and so that makes sense yeah it's like a, the biggest loss leader um so like it's and honestly costco not a terrible company all things considered but like it's not, they're not keeping the hot dog at a buck fifty because they really care about you and your budget. Right. They're keeping the hot dog at one fifty because you're going to go in for a dollar fifty hot dog and then like come out with like a tower fan that you didn't expect that you were going to buy. Right. They're not a terrible company by company standards, yeah, which exactly. is very like, low. Like, <laughs> capitalism still wins out here, but right. we also get cheap hot dogs at the same time. So I have yeah. to say, I do love a hot dog. I, right? I oh, dude, this fucking book will make you so hungry for hot dogs, man. Oh man, it was that. That's like why it's sometimes hard to read for too long, is because you're just like, oh, fucking hot dog, right now. <laughs> yeah, like she talks about yeah, all the different ways that they're prepared and like different types of chili and like, and she talks about like how do you eat a hot, how do you eat five hot dogs a day? Like, how do you not like? be just super full all the time so she like talks about her hot dog method she's like she'll eat a bite out of the middle because like she can't waste stomach space on like the end which is just bread so she talks about how she usually like she'll take one bite out of the middle and she'll kind of like usually take like a second bite and then just like get it wrapped up to go like she doesn't she can't finish each hot dog every time because yeah she's eating like like four or five hot dogs a day and, like, you just can't do that. Respect to her stomach and her willingness to court heart disease there. Yeah. Yeah. That's commitment. Eat one hot dog a day. Yeah. Maybe right? two. That's but the normal five. Amount. Yeah. No. I, and, like, usually they have, one like, hot chili and stuff on year. them, too. Yeah. So. I definitely eat more hot dogs in the summer. Yeah. It's a summer food, for sure. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a profoundly weird book. Um, but if you like hot dogs, even if you're just curious about, like, food history, it's great for that. Um, weird book. Very excellent. Uh, it would Honestly, it would probably make a great gift for, like, any hot dog lover in your life. Uh, Although just, there's like, raunchy stuff in it, right? There is, yeah. She uh, has a very vivid sex dream about, uh, <laughs> like, about, oh, what is it? I believe she she calls it getting her back blown out in Radiator Springs, which is a fictional town in Disney World. <laughs> uh, yeah, which she references I, um, quite a bit, and it's very funny. Until uh, you told me about that, I was about to buy this for my father-in-law, so <laughs> buyer beware. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. And, and there is a, uh, there's a disclaimer at the beginning of the book saying that. Okay. So, and I believe she even says, like, she says, if you don't want to, like, read that part, then you can just skip this bit or whatever. Um, but yeah, it, I think it would be, it is a good gift book because it's, like, it's very weird. I think it's the kind of thing that if you give this to somebody, they would remember it for sure. <laughs> so maybe not your in-laws. Yeah, I mean, it, it's also called Raw Dog. Like, it's, yeah. It's a good title. Yeah, it is yeah. a good title. She like tweeted one time. She was like, "I can't believe they let me name it this." <laughs> I can't either. Now that you said it, honestly, right? Yeah, yeah. Sex sells? I guess. Mark? Yeah, yeah. All right. Our publishers are our old men who don't know what 
Oh yeah, either they don't know at all or they know what's up. Hmm. So my second book is the. I don't know what the opposite of raw dog is, but this <laughs> might be that. Okay. <laughs> it's like, uh, so it's called Saint of Bright Doors, uh, by. And I apologize, I looked up how to pronounce this name, and I'm probably going to get it wrong, so that's on me. Vajra uh, Chandra Sakara. Uh, he is... Uh, this is his debut novel. It does not feel like that at all. It is super complex. It's slightly funny, because um, the main character starts out in a support group for failed, like, either saviors of the world or doomers of the world. He's like for failed chosen ones, basically. Because okay. he was raised uh, to be an assassin and to kill his father by his mother. His mother, okay. not happy with his dad. <laughs> um, but he was like, I don't feel like that's for me personally. So he joins a support group and he's like trying to make it in this city that is like chaotic. And the bright doors of the title are these as it suggests, brightly painted doors that no one can go in. Um, and everyone is afraid of them appearing and no one wa knows why they appear. Um, so gradually he gets drawn in through a series of like unlikely events to scientifically determining what these doors are and then also the history of them. Um, and it's that mystery is super fascinating. The mystery of his own history and why his mom wants his dad dead is way more complicated than you assume. Um, and uh, it just is this really interesting take on what it means to live in a city, too. There's, like, bureaucracy and corruption and factions and racism and classism and just everything you can imagine. And he doesn't, like skimp on any of that but he still like clearly loves this city that he's invented so it's a very cool like place to visit it feels like a place like the novel is uh it, it definitely makes me want to visit sri lanka uh because the author is sri lankan um and it's like a little bit based on that but it's clearly its own thing um so definitely reminded me of uh china Mieville. if you ever read him he like he writes very urban novels, like novels that are about cities. And this is very much in that vein. So very I've read cool. a lot of China Medieval. You have? Yeah. Or you haven't? Nice. I have. Yeah, it's like New Crobuzon, basically. It's like nuts. And why? But also, sure. So yeah, very serious. No... No hot dogs are involved that I know of. Um, <laughs> I'm out. I didn't read specifically for that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's also about, you know, like religion and what it means to have your culture appropriated uh, from the perspective of, you know, someone who... Like what what it means to have someone come in and be interested in your way to enlightenment and your way of doing things and then take it for themselves and, and misapply it. And how do you get that back? Can you ever get that back? Um, and that is a really, that's like a big question with all capital letters written on a wall somewhere. And uh, yeah, he does a really good job like thinking through it. So it's not a book with answers though. Like the ending might feel a little bit unsatisfying um, because it's, it's more about like the questions, I think. So. Yeah. Is it a standalone? 
It is. As far as I know. I mean, maybe he'll set another thing. I hope he says another book in that universe, but as of right now, it's a complete story. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes that can be really frustrating, but like, I don't know, it is nice to mix it up now and then. Like, just be like, close the book and be like, wow, damn. Yeah. I think it's sad. It's not like it ends on an obnoxious cliffhanger like they do these days, but it definitely is like, I'm not, I'm not sure I feel total like, what's, what satisfaction can you have when, like, both your parents have tried to destroy each other through you? It's like, cool, divorce hurts everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when the divorce is, like, at the end of a sword. <laughs> it's... I very much need books with answers. That's why I don't like, uh... What's his name? Damon Lee Fields television shows like Lost and The Leftovers. Oh, uh, it's like, oh, oh, yeah. oh, we're never going to answer what happened yeah. to the half of the population yeah. that disappeared. I'm like, I'm out. Oh, it's not that <laughs> bad. Though, yeah, definitely not like people that. I, I, a lot of people I know love that show. No, this is more like you'll never get answers to the big questions. All the characters have satisfying arcs. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. I Generally, I like getting answers, but sometimes I can, I can deal I don't know. Yeah, it depends. I guess I just don't want no answers. Yeah. I think you would still enjoy this book. It definitely... I think it is a little bit resonant from what I've read so far with uh, The Archive Undying, because it's very much, like, mm-hmm. complicated, weird, I s- have to pay attention stuff. I remember reading your review and being like, I have to check, I should check out this book. Everyone should check out this book. It's so good. Nice. Okay, on to our number one. Our number one. My number one is The Traitor by Anthony Ryan, the third book in the Covenant of Steel uh, series. Now, for a long time, Blood Song was a fantasy book that I recommended to everyone and then wouldn't recommend the follow-ups because I was very disappointed in them and they went in a direction that I did not like and introduced point of view characters that quite frankly were not as interesting as Valen El Sorna from the first book. And it took like a different path and like the first book was like one of my favorite books, fantasy books ever. And then the second and third book were just okay, which compared in comparison to a book that you like think of as your favorite, okay becomes bad. Like yeah, it's it, pretty disappointing. Yeah, they were very disappointing to me, and it's not like they were badly written. They just completely went in a direction that I did not like at all. And so when that series completed and Anthony Ryan started a second series, I have not yet read that series. All I know is that I think they're about dragons. Fast forward to 2021 through Orbit, I find out that Anthony Ryan is writing a new book called The Pariah. And so I pick it up thinking, oh, this is a fresh start. This this sounds interesting. 
I'm going to give Anthony Ryan another chance because he wrote one of my favorite books ever. Two, three years later, the final book in the series, The Traitor, comes out. And I'm like, I'm back in on Anthony Ryan. Like, <laughs> I'm like, this, this series is so good. Just to start off, imagine, you know, someone that you believe in or that you have put your complete trust in and someone that you love turns out not to be the person that you thought. Imagine you joined an organization and picked a leader that you thought was going to change the world for the better, and it turns out they're not who they who you thought they were. And then you realize that you've been blinded by, you know, their charisma, who they are. You're in a cult. And that's what and that's what Alwyn Scribe finds himself in in this third book. He, he the the second book ended with the reveal that based on their religion, there is the, you know, devil equivalent is called the Malicite. Their good equivalent is called the Seraphile. And Alwyn joins up with this woman named Evadine Colleen, who is like this charismatic leader, believes in the faith that the, everyone follows, is trying to stop what is basically like the end times, which they call the scourge in the book. And the, okay. Yeah. And throughout the first book and the second book, Alwyn is slowly like falling in love with Everdine and Everdeen likely, you know, has the same feelings for Alwyn. And then the second book ends with um Everdeen and Alwyn finally like giving in to their urges and sleeping together right after they've murdered a Oh like, yes, you've told a, us about this one. <laughs> after, yes. uh, after they've murdered like a high ranking well specifically Evadine murdered a high ranking cleric of their faith who granted they were corrupt, but it was it was basically a like Cool motive, still murder. You're still like <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Anthony Ryan does this thing with, like, magic and mysticism where, like, you'll get, like, a little bit. And then as the books go on, you get a little more. And then usually in, like, the final book is when you get the most of it. And in the second book, Alwyn... Uh, just full spoilers ahead for this book, by the way. Alwyn learns that... I won't say I won't, without without spoiling. I won't say how he finds out, but Alan learns that um, Evadine is not of the Seraphile. She is of the Malicite, and that's how the second book ends with <laughs> with uh, Alan. Like Alan is told this earlier in the second book, but it's not revealed to the reader because he doesn't believe it. He immediately like. There's a scene where he goes liar after just being told this, and you don't get to see why he's saying that. And then that's revealed at the very end of the second book. That's really hard to pull off, too, when you have, like, the, a main character who knows something, and is it, and it's directing their motivations, but the reader doesn't know what that is yet. 
Mm-hmm. That's really hard to do. It's it's done really well, but yeah. I can't say how without okay. spoiling the whole series. But the third book starts with that. Alan has just slept with Evadine. They she's murdered this high ranking cleric, and Alan is thinking this in the back of the head. He's like, "Oh, Evadine may not be the person I think she is." And then the book, you know, you go into the book being like. Everything's gonna go fucking wrong. And it does. <laughs> Straight from the beginning. This this book staked me through the heart with like I've read enough comic books and books now that are like there's not that many times where characters dying. Even like characters who died in the last course of dragon books. Well, without saying who, uh didn't affect me that much because I'm just so used to characters. Characters die in books. George R. Mm-hmm. Martin kills yeah. characters. Comic books kill characters all the time. Yeah. Sometimes characters come back. But this book, man, killed characters that I was like, oh god, this hurts so much. And it's just like everything that they've that Alan has built up in the first two books. He went from outlaw to um, prisoner to soldier like um conscripted soldier to high ranking soldier to captain and then at the beginning of this book he has risen all the way to lord and then gets shot right back down the rankings back to outlaw again and it's just like alwyn as you read the first two books you don't want to believe it either that everything is going to go wrong you just want things to go right and this book is both heartbreaking and has like a super satisfying conclusion to the series. Um, it's so funny, like how in the first two books, everybody is like warning both the reader and Alan that Evadine is not who she says she is, or that she's delusional, she's a mad woman, and Alan's like. Nah, it's like, nah. you know, she's she's changing things for the better. Things are going well. We're doing the right thing. Also, Until... she's cute. Also, yeah. She... She's super hot. Yeah. It's like... <laughs> and... Al, like, I if you read my reviews, Alan Scribe is such a great character. He's like simultaneously a cynical like piece of shit while with like snide remarks that are really fun and he could be petty and he could have jealousy but he's also like stupid brave and willing to do stupid things to save his friends and he's very loyal and man it Alan suffers in this book <laughs> in, in like a good way and I really love these series and now i'm probably gonna go back and check out that that dragon series that anthony ryan wrote and it doesn't change my opinion of the follow-ups the blood song but i really love this trilogy and guess what it's a done trilogy you're not waiting for another you're not waiting for another book to come out but like the ending is like a little bit open-ended that maybe alwyn's story could continue if anthony ryan decides it and like uh, I've said it before, Anthony Ryan writes battles so well. Like, you, it feels like so many authors that write battles write it from, like, a top-down perspective. 
of like describing like, oh, this is where the maneuvers go and this is where the soldiers are heading. But Anthony Ryan writes all the battles from the perspective of Alwyn believing both like, you know, the strategy and the brutality and the everything horrible about war in, and it's written really well. And I like, I've never been like, sometimes a battle scene in a, a fantasy book can be boring and his aren't boring at all. And it's also, you know, with good reason, fantasy is writing less medieval fantasy. Uh, but this is medieval fantasy done well. And it's also done well without, you know, a lot of the problematic elements of medieval fantasy, where, you know, a lot of authors use the excuse of, like, oh, that's just how it was in mm -hmm. history without, like, with this, like, without even some of the times they're not even correct that that's how it was because they didn't do the proper research. There's, I really can't think of anything in this trilogy that was, like, super problematic or, like, creepy. Like, there's definitely implied um, that people can do bad things, like, tr uh, triggering things, but there's never, like, a explicit scene. It's definitely not something... Alan as a character will put up with when he's like a high-ranking soldier. So there's like implied horrific elements, but it's never like beating you over the head with it to the point where like you don't want to read the book. Mm -hmm. And uh, I really love this series. I'm probably going to reread them all at the same time. That's awesome. Nice. Yeah, I think you you've mentioned those uh, a few times now. So that's that's a really good sign that it like captivated you so much, where you were like, ah. Yeah, and we all yeah. like have so many books. It's nice that, yeah. like, I'm taking I'm trying to take more of a leaf from your book to like reread stuff that I like because mm -hmm. it is you know that they exist. Like you, you would I would still rewatch my favorite movies so it's important to like revisit stuff that you really enjoy instead of trying to like hustle the book industry you just can't ever keep up yeah right and there's also within this book like like i said with uh combat codes there are secrets there's Ooh. stuff that has been hinted at in the first two oh, like books secret. that yeah. like get revealed in this book and Ooh, that's very satisfying and you'll be like, oh my god, I can't believe I didn't make those connections before. <laughs> I can't believe... AKA the Jen Lyons effect. Yes. Yeah. Jen Lyons also has taught exactly. me reread stuff. Yeah. Because you forget everything. Yeah. What is your number one, Steph? Uh, my number one for so far this year is Some Desperate Glory by Emily Tesh. Alright. I really, really love this book. It was not what I expected at all. It's really dark at times, but I mean, Emily Tesh is just such a fantastic writer. And, you know, particularly in the first like third of the book, um, I mean, in like going through parts of it, like the protagonist sucks. Like she's an awful person. 
And it's really, really mm-hmm. hard to write a awful protagonist where you're still like, I want to see where this goes. And like, and knowing that like this protagonist is probably going to have an arc um, and knowing that they will probably improve as a person, you know, that, that is part of it. But um, yeah. So uh, I guess it's, it's even, it's hard to give a synopsis of this book too. Cause again, it was not what I thought it was going to be at all, but it's, a, it's a lot about like the nature of reality and uh the the protagonist Kier grows up basically in this like extremist human enclave in a world where world Earth was blown up by this you know sort of uh, un un unseen you know alien force uh, and yeah it's it's I don't I think partly because I I found this book so interesting is because I am like interested in cults and weird shit like that like I I love listening to like QAnon shit because I'm just like how do people end up in this brain space? Um, and the, this book is very culty at the beginning. And you mm-hmm. have this brainwashed protagonist who grew up in this like militant human supremacist culture. And this journey that she goes on, you know, like physically and metaphorically. And it just like, it, there was, it was about halfway through the book, something happens. There's this big confrontation. And I was like, I just like it really took me out of left field and I was like wow this is not where I thought this was going at all like I don't even want to say right. too much because it is like it's, it's such a twist that you don't is. see coming yeah this was almost my number three book mm. uh for like almost all the exact reasons that you yeah. said it's so like, compelling it takes such a turn yeah and oh um, I don't know it's so it's, it's really hard to describe but it's very good the you know and like yeah it just the characters are fantastic and the way the world works is super interesting and like very realistic i think in a lot of ways like the idea that like i I, one of the things i really love about it is like you know a lot of sci-fi humans go out into the world and you know oh we're well we're kind of squishy and we don't have claws and horns and things but we're tenacious we're, you know, we get, get make our place in the galaxy because we're just go-getters. Yeah. We got moxie. Yeah, this is a universe where humans are absolutely the strongest, most aggressive species in the galaxy. And we're kind of horrible. You know? Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. accurate. Like, imagine, like, the best way I describe the book is, like, imagine you're confronted with everything you've known your entire life isn't the truth. Yeah. And then still refusing to believe it. Yeah. And that's basically the first half of the book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And in the second half of the book, I can't talk to you. And this thing, like, <laughs> you think that the rest of the book is going to be like this main character overcoming her prejudices and learning to work together with the aliens. And, and it, you know, and like, it, it just like, it doesn't go that way at all. I mean, it, in a way, it, it kind of is, but it's in a way not, that you would never expect. Yeah, not the route you think it's going to take at all. Like, it just, it, is, it takes a hard 180, or, or maybe not, a hard 90 degree turn, mm. like, off into just very interesting and complicated uh, things. There's, there's, yeah, alternate realities get involved and how that all works together and it's it's one of those books that brings things together really neatly at the end in a really satisfying way um Mm -hmm. 
I actually, I wasn't actually a huge fan of like the last last scene, but we, we can talk about that when we because we've been meaning to cover this in an episode, so we can talk about that once we've all read it. Because um, I, Christina, I wanted a little more. Done. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I wanted a little less. But we'll oh, okay. we'll, get, we'll talk about that at some point. Um, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll do a bookling on an episode on this at one point. But yeah, I mean, just you know, we we loved Emily Tesh, uh, the Green Hollow duology. You know, we both we covered both those books. We love them. And to see what she can do with long form was really impressive. I was, I was totally blown away just like by like, the, yeah, like the, the actual like structure of all the writing in the book was really good. Um, yeah. The way everything got brought together, it's hard to keep things straight when you are working with multiple realities. And she did a great job of nothing was too, too confusing. Um, and and yeah, like the the journey of somebody coming from like there there was a lot of really great parallels that I think anybody can draw. Anybody who comes from a place of privilege can draw to their own lives and like realizing your privilege and overcoming it and and yeah, recognizing like who who you are in relation to, you know, in this case other species in the galaxy, but like you can apply it to like who you are in context of other humans on our planet. And like, what does that mean? And like, how do you, how do you acknowledge your own status and purpose and use that to help other people or interact with other people? To be really specific, if you grew up an evangelical Christian, <laughs> the first half of this book kind of you'll find relatable. Yeah, if yeah, you were a former evangelical Christian. Yeah, and and I, like, I'm not like we. I didn't grow up particularly religious, but like you know, for people also like yeah, you know, recognizing any kind of privilege you have in the world, like yeah, you grow up like not realizing that other groups don't have things the same way that you do and like recognizing that the world is not your small sphere and uh mm-hmm. yeah so it's it was a great book i i super enjoyed it i hope we get more long form from emily tesh i hope we get more science fiction from emily tesh because they she they i think i'm actually not was, sure what they're i think, emily I think we looked this up once before and didn't get a definitive answer if I don't know, I usually just go with they. I don't think anybody's offended by saying they. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I don't really see. Yeah, great book. I agree. I really lo- like this book. And it's funny, too, because like, the first quarter of the book, I was like, I don't know if this is for me. It's it, The first quarter is like really dark and kind of miserable. Um, yeah, not that the first... Yeah. Quarter is uh bad or boring like badly or written. It's just it's yeah. more like I don't know if I'm in the right mindset to yeah. read this miserable part. Yes. But Tale, tales of a white supremacist. Like, yeah. I would never if you, like you read the first part and want to put it down. I don't have anything against that, but I yeah. will say that moving reading past it definitely it definitely it's, gets better. It's worth it. Yeah. Full disclosure: that is uh what I'm supposed to be reading. Uh, and it's been, it's been a struggle to get through the first part. There's yeah. no supposed to be. It's just, well, we're going to cover want it. To so yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah so right. yeah, we'll, we'll cover it more we'll in depth later, it. but it's, it's fantastic. And uh, yeah, that's my number one of the book of the year so far. Nice. 
Christina, what is your number one? Um, my number one is called YN or Y slash N, which is a fandom term for I did not know this for your name, oh. and it's by Esther Yi uh, or E, um, who it it is kind of a fictionalized version of someone who sees a Korean boy band performance and becomes immediately smitten and obsessed and worshipful of one of the band members. And she starts writing this your name in like, it's a self insert type of fan fiction, but the, the narrative is kind of split between the content of the fan, like the, the fan fiction that she's writing and her own journey to try to like, follow be obsessed with this boy band member called moon um and all the boy band members there's like sun is another one of the characters they're all like i don't know it's a little bit sailor moon too astrological Um, yeah um but she upends her life moves to south korea and like it's a little bit surreal it's like one of those novels that like you know, it's literature with a capital L a little bit. Because okay. um, it's like... <laughs> it's like trying to comment, but like it's not dismissive of fandom at all. It is so in for it. It's so supportive. It's so like, yes, the goal of your life is not to care what anybody else thinks. If this is what you love... You have to love it with your whole heart and do it as much as you can. And like, who cares? And so I think it's like, it, it's like that to an insane degree. Like this person, the character has like, like I would be concerned if it was my friend, but also yeah. at the same time, like it, it is about art and, and how important it is to commit yourself to art and like this part, it's not a the narrative itself is not about is not fan fiction in that like Moon never falls in love with the character she encounters Moon and it's like it goes horribly and like it's not um, it's not wish fulfillment it's very skeptical of uh, like pseudo relationships like what what oh parasocial relationships okay. yeah yeah. So it's not like it's not encouraging people to be creepy, but it is encouraging people to like love things as hard as they can cuz what else do you have in this weird twisted world? Like what else is there? And like this girl is not just obsessed with Moon, she's obsessed with this one dance move that he does. I was like does that's how like, specific it is. It's deeply weird. It's not for everyone. Does it go into like parasocial relationships? Not like, explicitly, but it is very okay. much like, you know, you don't actually know this person. And right. maybe that's better. Like, what is it about, like, you that is interested in this? What? How does your, like, artistic expression fit itself into, like, expressing yourself through another person? Like, how is that working for you? Why are you doing that? figure it out like that's interesting so i think it's really cool i think it's doing a lot of really interesting stuff with like what it means to be almost religious like like to be obsessed with someone who you kind of see as this deity and like does it matter if they never notice you what if they don't like you is that okay it's like 
yeah, it is. Because your obsession actually has nothing to do with them. Mm-hmm. So it's You don't actually know them. You don't know them and they don't know you, and like your love for that one dance move is transcendent by itself. And like I yeah. think that's kinda cool. You don't know them, Twitter.com. <laughs> Who's Twitter? I only know X. Uh, I, I refuse I refuse to acknowledge X. Yeah, that ugh. Well this this will be topical. Yeah. There you go. There's your topical moment, kids. <laughs> but I definitely added it to my, like, I gotta check this book out list. Because it sounds good, yeah. even though it's yeah, capital it L literature. I think I think it's, it's like one of those books that's like more interested in ideas than story. But it's, it's a good story, but it's like things happen that are thinly veiled metaphors. Like no one ever goes to the bathroom or like eats a croissant. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> And then they went to this tower, and the tower was a metaphor for something. And you're like, okay, yep, sure. Okay, all right, sure. No one ever has to pee. That's fine. Um, so yeah, if you don't like it, that seems reasonable. Fair. But if you yeah. do like it, I think it's a super cool book that takes a lot of stuff really seriously that a lot of people are like real dismissive of. So yeah, it's weird. I love it. Nice. All right. Those are our number and ones. The, just uh, let's do a quick rundown of our three books, just for listeners. So my number three was The Archive Undying by Emma Miko Kandon. My number two was Combat Codes by uh, The Combat Codes by Alexander Darwin. And my number one was The Traitor by Anthony Ryan. And my number three was Guardians of Dawn Zara by S.J. Jones. My number two was Raw Dog by Jamie Loftus. And my number three was Some Desperate Glory by Emily Tesh. My number three was Walking Practice by Dolky Min. My number two was The Saint of Bright Doors by Vajra Chandrasekhara. And my number one was YN or Y slash N by Esther E. Yay! Check out these books. Check out August is the biggest birthday month of the year. Buy someone a book. Yeah. Why is it the biggest birthday month? Is it after Valentine's Day? Uh, it's after, it's like Christmas. It's uh, like yeah. that November, yeah. December window. Everybody fucks on Thanksgiving. I, my, birthday is, <laughs> my birthday is uh, the middle of the month. <laughs> we don't have Thanksgiving at the same time up here, but... Yeah. I only know that because I saw a TikTok about August being yeah. <laughs> birthday month. And it was like, what was everybody doing on Thanksgiving? <laughs> There's nothing else to do, man. Gotta escape that family Full somehow. Full Christmas cheer. Escape family by creating more family. To uh, talk about what else we're reading, uh, I'm going to start, because I, I just want to talk about it very briefly. I am reading uh, Ringmaster, Vince McMahon and the Unmaking of America by Josephine Reisman. If you ever wanted to, like find out everything horrible that Vince McMahon has ever done. There's a lot of it. And also his connect, like wrestling's connection and specifically his connection to how Trump rose to power. This book is for you. And then, uh, how are you not super depressed? (laughs) Because I don't watch Vince McMahon's wrestling. I watch another company's wrestling. 
That's fair. Uh, I just feel like this book would make me so sad. <laughs> oh no, I already knew most of this okay. stuff. I, like I've like like uh I like some of the stuff that's connected to Trump I didn't realize, but like it was sort of like, oh yeah, that makes total sense. But uh, in connection with this book, I uh look up the article on Polygon uh wrestling turned me cis then it turned me trans by the author josephine reisman which uh if you look up this book their dead name is still on the book but uh they have since come out as trans in the process of releasing this book and as in the process of falling in love with wrestling again and it's definitely an article paired with it that you should definitely check out nice and the I'm only like 50% of the way through the book, and it's a lot of the stuff, the horrible things Vince I already knew was doing, uh, but it is very detail-oriented and a lot of interviews with people. and It's, it's a who, wild who, story. Yeah, and some of, like, some of like Vince McMahon's childhood stuff is even like, wow, you're a horrible person, but also, like, super dark horrible things have happened to you that made you this way so yeah that's what i am currently reading yikes maybe read the sailor moon esque uh, (laughs) sorrow book that stuff right after that for palate cleanser you need some you need some mental sorbet you need need a nice himbo who just likes to lift weights and do poetry yes yes uh, I, speaking of which, uh, that is the book that I am currently reading right now, because uh, I cheated in this episode. Uh, I'm also reading The Chaos Portal by Paul Van Kudigam, who is a friend of mine, who will hopefully have on the show relatively soon. I need to finish the book first. <laughs> um, I think that's it. Yeah, I, uh, I don't read, I don't have as much reading time now that my job actually takes up 40 hours in the week. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, I have a big pile of other books that I'm interested in reading, but just haven't gone yeah. to yet. I am constantly impressed with how much you two read because, like, you, you two have 40 hour, or like, full time jobs and have worked your full time the whole time that we've been doing this. Whereas, like, I have been skating on the fact that I was able to read at work multiple hours a day. I do read quickly, but that is a product of grad school uh, where it was just like, hey, you, you need to, to read yeah. 8 million pages by Tuesday. Yeah. It's like, all right, you want to sleep? <laughs> the trick is to like constantly have the Kindle app near open on your phone and, you know, I take a break, I'm reading. I right. go to the bathroom mm-hmm. at work. Yeah. Literally, as I'm, because it's like I'm, I work overnight, so there's no one there. Literally, as I'm walking to the bathroom, I have the Kindle app open. And Dang, reading. that's commitment. Well, I read what is it years ago? I read, uh, uh is this either called "Am Writing" or "I Am Writing" by Stephen King, and he has a I'm whole writing, chapter yeah. being like, um. In order to be a good writer slash author, you also have to be reading a lot. And that means reading at the dinner table, reading any chance you get, reading, waiting in line at the coffee shop. And I was like, and he's like, that's how you squeeze in 
uh, as much reading. And I often like people ask me sometimes, like, how do you read so much? Or like, how do you find time to read? And, or it's the same thing with anything. Like, how do you have time to get this much hours in a video game? How much time, like, how do you fit in watching this much wrestling? How much, how do you fit in, uh, writing? You have to do it. You have, you have to make yourself do it. You can't like be like, wait around. You have to actively choose to do it. Mm-hmm. You can't like wait around for the perfect time to get reading done. You have to commit. And if that means drawing yourself a bath and then refusing to get out, so yeah, be it. So be it. Reading in the bath is great. It's so good. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of reading, Christina, what are you reading? <laughs> Good segue. Um, I'm reading The Archive Undying. Yeah, so we're going to tie a bow on this episode. Nice. Uh, I'm reading what Josh recommends. Yay. Uh, we actually, like, spontaneously, because we have different interests, we do end up reading different books, which I kind of like. Yeah. Like, we don't overlap so much. No. That's nice. Yeah. But I always find good just recommendations little, from you guys. Just a little behind the scenes. We did discuss what was on our list before we recorded this episode. Going in, and I thought about it, and I was like, there's no way we're going to have the same books. Nope. I thought there was a chance that you and I might both have some desperate glory. Yeah, I almost yeah. did, but... Okay. Uh, happy August, everybody. Uh, we'll see you in, I don't know, six months or so. <laughs> Follow me have- on Blue Sky, Hive, uh, <laughs> uh, Tumblr, Twitter slash X, uh, Mastodon. I think I have a Mastodon. I haven't actually used it yet. Uh, at four or five wits. I've also restarted using my blog, which I, the domain I was paying for. So check out four or five wits.com. Check out four or five wits on Twitch. I've been streaming more. Um, that's, I think that's it. I think that's all my plugs. Check out, no, uh, check out my podcast. No page <laughs> <under>. <laughs> Yeah, what are you doing here? You should check that out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think we all got Blue Skies. Thanks, Josh. Yeah. Uh, so I'm on Blue Skies, Christina Ladd. Um, don't find me on Twitter I or slash X. That That is... We're done. But, yeah, you know, I might be, sad, I might be like, deleting soon. Yeah. I, I'm not, not going to delete it. Out, I'll squat, but... but like... If, I'll check it maybe once a week, so if you need to contact me, don't contact me there. Steph? Yeah, I'm uh, at Steph O'Kingston. I'm pretty much just on Blue Sky and Instagram sometimes and TikTok now. Uh, I I haven't been checking Twitter. Haven't been missing Twitter. It sucks. X was pretty much the stupid straw that broke the camel's back for me, which is like... It's only seems gonna kind get of, worse. Seemed kind of like bad because considering so many worse things happened up until now, but I was like, you know what? I this is a this is a good point. To just uh, and also the fact that yeah, Blue Sky started opening up more. Yeah. Uh, so Blue Sky's pretty fun so far. You know, we'll see. Uh, it's just been a snowball effect of yeah. um, people in our community exactly. getting codes yeah. and spreading the codes yeah. out to so other people. So it's been nice, honestly. Uh, I feel yeah, like we'll all the people went people to, to Blue Sky. Yeah. yeah. 
All the brands went somewhere else. I don't know. Yeah, somebody told me that, like, brands went to Threads and people oh, went to Blue where? Sky. Yeah. Because the brands, like, you know, they don't have to, like, rebuild anything. Yeah. Which is fine. Just over their Instagram, so yeah. Threads is not... I'm not I'm already not barely... I'm barely on yeah. Instagram, so, like, what's the point? You can find me on Threads also, but I do regret signing up because I didn't <laughs> think about how terrible Meta was as a company... So, uh, I might use threads as like a where I like thread about some specific like wrestling or something like that. Maybe that'll be like my pop culture social media. I don't know. Maybe I'll just tweet like "fuck you" every day on there. I don't know. As it was foretold, this episode is over. <laughs> as was foretold. All right, books, books everybody. Books. Thank you for listening to No Page Unturned, part of the Geekly Inc. podcast family. You can now find us on Blue Sky at No Page Unturned. Our amazing theme music is by Bad Sparrow, and our cover art is by Mango You Art. 